0: Welcome back to Bibliography, a podcast for people who love a good-to-be-read list. I'm David Curran here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and this is a conversation show about the way books make our lives richer. This week's guest is Christopher Beha, the author of one of my favorite recent novels. It's called The Index of Self-Destructive Acts, and it was nominated for the 2020 National Book Award. I sometimes like to tell people that it's one of my favorite recent books about people talking about ideas. You know, ideas like politics, philosophy, finance, baseball, you know, the important things. Veha is also the author of a memoir, The Whole Five Feet, and the novels Arts and Entertainments and What Happened to Sophie Wilder. He is the editor of Harper's Magazine, which is one of the most consistently interesting and thoughtful periodicals available right now. It's a personal favorite jess walter who you've heard on this podcast before the author of beautiful ruins he says that quote christopher beha is one of the most talented young writers at work today chris was kind enough to join me a while back to chat about his favorite books and honestly i've been holding this episode until now because i happen to think that index uh, of self-destructive acts is a great novel to get lost in during the summertime so here's that conversation hope you find a book or two to love well, Chris, thank you so much for, for joining me to talk about books that mean a lot to you. This is going to be really fun and really appreciate you coming on. Happy to be here. So this is my first question. I start, this, start every interview with this question. People who've listened, uh, they'll, they'll know what's coming. Do you remember the first time that you just fell, fell for a book, fell in love with a book, kind of changed the way you thought about books? Could have been when you were four. Could have been when you were 24. <laughs> um,
1: I remember the first chapter book. Mm-hmm. that i read on my own um which was a um beverly cleary book beverly cleary just passed away recently yeah. at like a hundred and something and yeah. uh, in addition to the ramona quimby books she had a sort of boy's equivalent who was henry mm-hmm. and there was a book called uh, i think henry's clubhouse or something like that um but um you know, I read it at a typical age to be reading this stuff. Um, and mm. Henry has a clubhouse. I, I mean, I I, 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 have never gone back and looked, but you know, yeah. I assume from the title, that it's you know, <laughs> his, 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 uh, sort of private space. Yeah. And, um, I, I was, I, I from a family that was a big family of readers uh, and books were everywhere so i wasn't like the misfit for liking books but i oh, okay. I, did. I, I have a twin brother i'm very close with him and, uh we shared a room um he was like slightly behind me on on reading um although he has subsequently caught up um <laughs> Uh, but I remember being able to read this book and sitting by myself and doing it and ha- and having it be one of the first like truly sort of like private experiences yeah. um, and this th- th- that feeling being very special that it wasn't it was something going on between me and the book, and I mm. wasn't sharing it with anyone else yeah. and um, that's been a big part of reading for me ever since I have occasionally been involved in uh, reading groups and sort of book clubs, and uh, yeah. occasionally actually try and pull together particular reading projects with some friends of mine. I I like talking about books. I like yeah. um, the social element of it, but I also very much like um, the the fact that it's something private between you and the book. I don't think that like it's not always when I finish a book or when I'm in the midst of reading a book I love I don't feel the strong urge to press it on other people I don't mm. feel a strong urge to talk about it with other people I just love having it for myself you know mm. and so you know a lot of the books um, you know I, I, I'm Went through a period of being very into avant-garde sort of stuff, postmodern stuff, and still now I, I, you know, I read some stuff I love very much that doesn't have a huge audience, mm-hmm. and that's not important to me. You know, mm-hmm. it's not important to me that the people around me are reading the stuff that I read, um, and I'm rarely reading, you know, the book that everyone is talking about at a given moment.
0: How did it feel to have your book be one of the books that people were talking about there for a minute?
1: Um, I, I mean, that was that was great. I would say that like they weren't talking about my book the way that they're talking about Sally Rooney. You know, I <laughs> I, I, I was out. I live in Carroll Gardens, and 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 my wife, uh, you know, who has been on your show, and mm. I were out walking this weekend, um, and there was a Sally Rooney coffee truck. Really. <laughs> It's been sponsored by Airmail, the Graydon Carter, you know, magazine okay. email, and and by FSG, presumably, Sally yeah. publisher, but it's, yeah. uh, you know, wh- whatever the title is, Beautiful Worlds, Where Have You Gone, yeah. or whatever. It's, it's what, a, yeah, where are you, yeah. Where are you? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a mobile coffee truck, like sort of Italian mobile coffee truck that is fitted out with the cover of... A book that is being pushed around various literary hipster spots in Brooklyn, and I'm sure. So,
0: are they like selling it alongside the coffee from I the don't cart? I
1: think They're selling the book. I think they're like giving away coffee and pushing. It's a, mo- it's a billboard. It's a billboard. Yeah, that moves and so serves the, coffee. The, the, and, and serves coffee. Yeah. So anyway, so there's there's people there's that that's that's like that's what it means to to have your book be having a moment. But yeah, it, it, the the mint <laughs> moment that my book had that it was you know. Um, it got more attention than anything I've yeah. done before. Um, and it was a nice feeling because it's the thing I've done that I'm proud of stuff. You know, mm, I worked yeah. very hard on that book and um, uh, I, I, I'd hoped it would uh, reach a wider audience than yeah. my stuff had in the past. And that wound up happening. And that was a nice feeling.
0: So you said that you said that you have this, you, you, you take a great amount of pleasure in the idea that there's the relationship between you and the book you don't necessarily feel like you need to immediately drop everything and share it with people or start a book club and convince, you know, everybody in your neighborhood to read it but do you feel like you as you're processing what you just read, you know, some people will start right over on a book they truly love. Some people will journal about it whatever. Some people will just put it back on the shelf and whatever sticks sticks. Do you ever do you ever feel like you need to put into words in some way or express what the experience was like reading that book?
1: I do. When I read something that really moves me in a way that I don't fully understand, I often try to find an excuse to write something about it. Um, And because that process is is part of understanding. So when when I published an essay about Uh, a book. And I I almost always, and it's a nice thing about being an editor of a magazine yourself, you can kind of give yourself assignments. Uh, Almost always when I'm writing about science, because I've chosen to write about it, I don't tend to take assignments from editors about certain books. Um, So when I'm writing about a book, it's really, I'm I'm writing for myself. You know, I write Mm. criticism to try and understand my own feelings about it. The book. Um, it's not about explaining the book to other people. Although I do, you know, I try to make these essays as lucid as possible. Um, but that really is, a, a, again, like for myself. It's the best way of, you know, you can feel these sort of vague, inchoate things about a book, but until you're forced to try and describe it to someone else, it's very difficult yeah. to pinpoint. And so um, an, an essay that has to be read by someone else and makes sense to someone else, uh, that setting that goal or that project for yourself is a great way to force yourself to get down on the page uh, how you're
0: responding to it. You, you said that you know, you'll assign a book to yourself that you, you, usually it sounds like you'd be something that you were really struck by or really enjoyed or had this intimate relationship with. Have you ever sat down you know, giving yourself that assignment, sat down, done the writing, and by the end of it, felt differently about the book. Maybe thought it wasn't as good as a, as you initially felt felt about it. I,
1: I certainly feel differently about a about a book. Um, one thing that happens is you, um, uh, I at least, if I'm going to write something about about. A book, I want to read a lot of that writer. Um, mm. it, virtually everything. I try to be a completist about this stuff because I just think it's the sort of the responsible thing to do, but 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 also that's part of understanding it for me. And I like having those uh, projects. And there are certain writers who hold up well to having to reading five, six, seven other books in a row, mm-hmm. and certain writers who don't. They come to seem a little mannered. Um, you can see where they're doing the same tricks and hmm. uh, certain books, that sort of thing. So that, that's a piece of it that I think um, absolutely can change uh, for better and worse your feelings about a writer.
0: When you talk about, it can seem a little mannered or they go to the same tricks, you know, for some people that is comforting. You know, you can read an Agatha Christie novel or something totally. You know, yeah. or certain kinds of genre and you're, you're expecting that. That helps you kind of grasp on some something to grasp onto to help with the experience.
1: Yeah, and there's certain people who kinda and these generally are genre type writers, but 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 some more literary writers, whatever that means, as well. Who you know, they put out a book every year or two, and you're if you just like are a fan or whatever, the book comes out and you read it, and you know, yeah, it's got a lot of what's in the other books, and that is part of what you're returning for, and then um, it's it's over and for until two years later when the next one comes out, mm-hmm. and that's a different experience. Than sitting down in the space of a month and reading six of these books that are really supposed to be yeah. read for the course of a decade, or yeah, um, and yeah, it's not sure. always necessarily entirely fair to the writer. You have to be, um, you have to be aware of that too—that you're not necessarily reading these things the way they're quote unquote meant to be read.
0: When was the last time you, or, or could you even give a name of someone that you read, you know, you read a book by them, and then you went back and you read their whole that whole person's whole canon, so to speak, and you were just like, man, this person. This from beginning to end, or there is something truly, you know, unbel- this is truly great. More people should be reading this person.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd say more people should be reading because lots of people are are, are, are reading um, uh, someone like Delillo, who I go back to mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. But you do, you, you read... More recent Delillo, which has a lot of strengths to it, and still, you know, he's so good at the things that there's certain th- things that he he will always do well no matter what. Um, but then you go back to the the real peak stuff, and you just get reminded again.
0: And you like white noise, that kind of stuff.
1: White noise, Libra, the names, um, Underworld, of course, um, but some of the I love the 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 really weird stuff from the seventies. <laughs> Great Jones Street and uh, hmm. End Zone and The Players and stuff like that, Running Dogs. Those are really weird books, but I think they're wonderful. I will give you someone who I, I can name someone who, who people uh, should read. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Tin House, who has published a couple of my books and is a wonderful, wonderful independent publisher, published, um, reissued a book by the Swiss writer Max Frisch called Montauk. Hmm. And it's kind of a weird... Um, work of what we would now call auto fiction uh which is something that in the 70s and 80s european particularly kind of avant-garde european writers were doing a ton of you know it's not new this genre but it's become a very fashionable thing uh mm-hmm. within the anglophone literary world now but uh frisch did this book he 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 he, he came on a book tour um to new york he was um as some people were then and perhaps are now although I've never really done a proper book tour but you know he a, a young publicist from his publisher was assigned to sort of shadow him and she was a young woman who was uh you know in her 20s and he was this very established world famous writer. Uh, and sure enough, they, they had this affair and, um, they went out, they, they, they went out to Montauk for a weekend, which is on the East end of Long Island, uh, from, uh, uh, you know, from New York where they, they were for the tour. Uh, and it's a, it's a book that he published and he was married at the time. Uh, but he, he, his marriage was falling apart, but he published the book, um, I think like a year later. You know a, a very uh, more or less um, non-fictional uh, accounting of this of this weekend. Um, it's a very strange, uh, wonderful book, and Frisch is someone who um, uh, has published. Uh, you know some some great books, but I, I had not read him before. Uh, there's There was a couple of his books that have been on my list for a while. And I read yeah. this talk and I was kind of blown away by it. And I went back and read basically all of him that's in English, um, including um, I'm Not Stiller is a great one. Homo Faber, those are the two that are sort of famous, and I had not read them before, and they're magnificent. Um, and a number of his um, sort of lesser known works, including he published a series of his notebooks that are oh. really fantastic. So anyway, I, I was his publisher. Um, most of you his stuff, Tin house Tin house published this book, Montauk. Okay. I think that, um, uh, Harcourt was his publisher okay. in the seventies and eighties when he was publishing. And a lot of that stuff is out of print. Okay. Um, and I've actually mentioned to people at Tin House that they ought to now do those notebooks. Um, but he, anyway, he is someone who I went—I went back and read sort of all of it, and was blown away by, it. and I think he's fantastic. And people should check him out.
0: Sounds like NYRB or someone will totally <laughs> would be up for up for doing that. Yeah. So, what do you think? You're an editor. What do you think the state is of book criticism? right now there's it seems like there's so many sources, whether I mean whether it's the review in The Wall Street Journal, New York Times Book Review, you know more traditional journals like what you work for, but then there's also sub stacks and there's you know I mean maybe not blogs so much but podcasts you know there's so many different ways of approaching book criticism, and yet the publishing world is changing so much Amazon is impacting that obviously so do you think we're in a good state in a good position as far as the world of book criticism?
1: I think we're in an okay state. I don't think we're in a, in a terrible state. Um, I don't think we're, I, 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 I think a lot of, um, what some people view as sort of like a flowering of criticism online is like often not of a super high quality. I, I, it doesn't get me excited, but, but I also don't um go in for any great declinist narrative mm-hmm. um, it should be said that writers are always complaining about the state of the literary culture and saying that you know there aren't enough intelligent critics out there um it, it was being said in the 20s it was being said in the 50s it was being said in various periods that we now think of as sort of golden ages of this stuff mm-hmm. uh, and uh you know, we, there's probably the best sort of most famous um sort of uh, decline of the of review and culture essay by elizabeth hardwick and we published it in harpers uh and it then helped to spur on the creation of the new york review of books um so i'm high, i'm very aware that that stuff has um uh those complaints have existed forever and there's always some truth to them. Um, there are some very good critics working now. I also think, I don't know how much the, 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 the health or quality of the literary culture, so to speak, um, actually matters for writers. Um, what I can say personally is um, I have been, you know, pretty widely reviewed and, you know, in a, in a positive way. Uh, by the sort of like daily outlets and the outlets that do the kind of two to 500 word reviews, Mm -hmm. um, the places that, um, generally do the, um, you know, longer review essays where you get a kind of meaty response to your work. Harper's obviously is not going to do that about my own work when I'm the editor of the magic. (laughs) Um, but I haven't gotten that in, uh, The Atlantic, the New York Review, the New Yorker, other places, because my work has an element of you know I write about religion, I write about Mm. uh, characters who are um, sorting through um, religious issues. There, there is a um, uh, a a sort of more marginalized uh, one. You know, conservative outlets, although I'm not politically conservative myself, um, have have. really given extended serious considerations to my work and uh, a number of religious outlets, Catholic outlets in particular. Mm -hmm. So I have gotten um, not in the mainstream outlets, but in these outlets, that sort of like longer 4,000 word essay by someone who's read all of your work and that kind of stuff. Um, And uh, it's, it's gratifying to see that. It's gratifying to see someone taking that time. Um, But, uh, and this is in no way an insult to the people who have been doing it because i I would think it it would be the same if it was coming from James Wood and The New Yorker uh, yeah. because these are very these are very insightful things in general. but i it doesn't do anything for me as a writer in terms of the next time I sit down. Yeah. It's encouraging. It's nice to see like people are reading this carefully. People are thinking yeah. about it. People are getting out of it. Somebody, somebody. who cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what it doesn't do is I don't, the next time I'm sitting down, um, rethink my approach on the basis of criticism.
0: Um, so on a related note, I've often wondered, you just know, like rate my professors, the Goodreads of it all. Do, do you think writers... I mean, it sounds like this wouldn't influence you, but how many writers do you think are, or their their editors, are going to Goodreads, seeing the you know the reviews that people are saying, the complaints, the praises, or whatever, and and actually bringing that to the computer, bringing that to the the yellow legal pad, whatever it is. Do you think that kind of stuff matters to writers? I can't
1: imagine. It. I mean, it, I, no writers that I know. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I should say that like there are certain writers who are very, very conscious that they are working in, um, you know, a commercial genre where their job is to, to write something that their readership will appreciate. And if they're, you know, doing a book a year and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, their, their readers respond and say, well, this one was missing X, Y, and Z notes that I like in this person's books, they might the next time, make sure that they do those things. I guess, but that yeah, is very yeah. foreign to the way that I go about this stuff. Yeah, um, and yeah, I I, I I would never change my process on the basis of those kinds of reviews. Yeah. But that said, I wouldn't change my process on the basis of professional reviews either. That's not yeah. a, a snobbery thing. That's like I I don't I wouldn't listen to these people, but I would listen to these people. I yeah. just um that's just not part of the thing for me.
0: Yeah. So what makes a good review in your opinion? This was not on my plan to talk to you about, but it's interesting because, you know, as someone who has been reviewed, but also writes reviews, works as an editor, someone pitches you something, someone sends you something, or you, you discover someone online or or in some other journal. What is it about that review? That's going to make you say, I want to publish this person. I want to write, publish the next thing this person writes. Good criticism is, is first of all, it's a genre of writing itself and, and,
1: um, the strength of the sentences, the strength of the, um, uh, of the thought on the page, you know, all of those things, just as it is for other kinds of writing is a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there are three kinds of readers of criticism, uh, one is someone who has already read the book under review or the author under review already has a decent uh, knowledge of the work and wants to compare their own response to another person's response. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is a person who, like, is curious about this work, maybe has read other work by the author, not a lot of it, hasn't read this book yet, essentially wants a consumer report, wants to know, should I read this thing or not? And the third is someone who's coming in with no information and basically is just um, someone who picked up this happened to pick up this periodical, yeah. you know. And a, uh, the best review um, can be edifying for all three of those people, you know. So it should it should have enough in it of just good, interesting thought and language, and do enough explaining about this. Uh, author or this set of books that someone coming at zero will just enjoy reading the thing. Whether they will come out the end wanting to read this person's books or not is a separate question, but they'll just enjoy the reading of, 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 of the essay. And then you should be, well, speaking to that person who has zero familiarity, you should also be able to speak to a person who has lots of familiarity has already read the book and you are not just telling that person stuff they already know. Mm. So it's not merely a plot summary with his, histor- with biographical background of the writer. You know, yeah. there's some insights that someone else who's read the book will say, Oh, I didn't read that that way. I read this this way, but it's interesting to hear someone yeah. uh, give their opinion. And then, you know, you should also with the in-between person, um, who really does want to know, uh, you know, should I read this thing or not? You know, um, is getting enough of a sense of the books and what's good about them and what isn't that they they come out with some of that. Although mm. for me, you know, good criticism is not primarily consumer reporting. You know, it's not mm. about how many stars you give it or thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down. Yeah. Uh, it is about engaging with the work and then putting the process of that engagement on
0: the page for other people. You mentioned how your books deal with religious subjects, and sometimes that seems to mean that certain outlets are not interested in covering them. as As an editor,
1: jump in. I do. I do want to say sorry. I don't mean to suggest because there are certain people who would make this a kind of culture war fight. Yeah. That um uh that the New Yorker doesn't write about me because uh, I write about religious people. Yeah. I don't. Say, I've gotten. Plenty of reviews in yeah. mainstream press. Um, you know, the, the there, are, there are all sorts of good, you know, The New Yorker runs its, you know, 50 reviews a year. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all sorts of reasons that I'm not among them. Yeah. Um, and I don't yeah. think that anyone is biased against me. I, right. I will yeah. say that um, these other outlets actively seek out my work because it engages with issues that they
0: don't find yeah. all. Uh, right. Right, work. that makes sense. Well, do you, as an editor of a journal, do you pursue books that might also be less likely to show up in the pages of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal? And I don't necessarily mean just because they cover things that you are also interested in, but do you... Yeah,
1: we we run both reviews of and excerpts from uh, a lot of small press Books. Yeah. Um, that's the main the main one that 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 won't necessarily get yeah. uh, picked up in other places.
0: Yeah, and the um, small press things not getting any better with all the buying of the big three, just buying yeah. all the other all the yeah. subsidiaries up. So, we, so
1: that's one thing. We we cover more foreign stuff than some other places do. More literature and translation. Mm-hmm. Um, we will, you know, use a a biography or something like that as an excuse to give a, a kind of like um, broad survey of the work mm. of a writer from the 19th or early 20th century or someone who isn't, uh, you know, does not have a new novel out, yeah.
0: you know, isn't... So like the new Elizabeth Barrett Browning biography comes out, so then you guys then, might do a piece on Browning.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, I... Um, as the editor of a, of a of a magazine, you do have to be talking about what's out now. Yeah. But as a reader, I'm not naturally going to. Um, most of my reading isn't happening in hardcover, you know. And in fact, yeah. most of my reading isn't stuff that came out in the last ten years, you know, or in the last fifty years necessarily. Um, so um, uh, I would I, I, I like thinking about. Um, you know, older books, because I often like reading older books. And I think that, you know, you want uh, the stuff that has, you know, stood the test of time probably has something going for it that yep. is thinking about. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, so a reissue like that Frisch book by Tin House, you know, that's, that gets you now going down the rabbit hole of reading stuff that hasn't been in print for the last 20 years. Yeah. You know?
0: Um, but is sure. worth reading. I I uh as much as I love, you know finding a more popular book that I'm really enjoying, I think there's something even more exciting about discovering somebody that you didn't you'd never really been attached to. Like I've yeah. been on a deep dive of uh, Stefan Zweig. I think I said oh, that right. Yeah. And somebody who I was aware of, but you know i think i probably read something in college getting an english degree but you know now i've been i think pushkin did some reissues of of the novellas and the stories and so discovering someone like that who has now stood something of yeah. the test of time is really exciting and it like that's different because you know i'm going to i've got Harlem shuffle. I've got Colson Whitehead right. sitting right here. It's, you know, got, I mean, I own a uh, bookstore. So
1: next on my pile, I would say like, one thing is to go back to the question of what makes a good critic. There's plenty of stuff that is popular. That's yeah. good. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and um, uh, I haven't read, I, I, I haven't read Colson's new book, but I, I I've, I've liked his stuff in general and it looks like a lot of fun. I'm excited to read it. Um, I haven't read the new Sally Rooney, but I enjoyed the first two and, and yeah, maybe very good and one thing i think that is the mark of a good critic is they they trust their own taste enough that mm. um they whether they like it's not they they neither you know go by the press nor in a knee-jerk way just mm. um uh you know yeah. if, if something's hyped it must be bad yeah, yeah. Uh, they they are, are honestly engaging with it you know mm. so um we we have a a piece in our current issue that's by a great critic I love a lot named Alan Jacobs and he's yeah. re- reviewing the new Jonathan Franzen book you know which is coming out uh, will be out by the time uh, this podcast hits yeah. drops yeah. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, um, Anyway, he just, you know, he, he, gives, he, he, he gives a close reading of the book, and he's read Franson's other stuff, and he's neither going to, you know, get into the and discourse yeah. on Twitter and, and, and respond on that way, um, but nor is he just going to be in the tank for a guy yeah. based on the fact that, you know, a lot of critics love him. You know, he's just yeah. going to give you his
0: uh, honest response to the book. Alan is a guy I'd love to have on this podcast. I've been reading his stuff for years. Such well, an interesting guy. Uh,
1: I I can certainly put you guys up, uh, <laughs> put you guys in touch. He is a very interesting guy.
0: We have uh, uh like it's like a few degrees of separation. I mean, yes. So with some people yeah. that I know. Hey, it's, you mentioned old books. No books. though. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, he's very. I think uh, cautious, just careful about his time. Yes. Increasingly, yes. um, you mentioned old books. Yeah, and I I mean we can go as far back as you want on this to what extent do the classics show, for lack of a better word, you know, for the sake of conversation, uh, playing your reading life. I think I've read that you're, a you're in a Karenina maybe is one of your favorites. And
1: yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge part. Um, continuously I'm, I, I, do a lot of rereading, um, but I'm also picking up new stuff. So I came relatively late in life to Balzac, for mm-hmm. example, Um, and there's always, you know, he wrote a hundred novels. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm often picking up new stuff of his that I haven't read, but I'm also, um, very often rereading George Eliot, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, um, Kafka. Uh, Um, uh, Proust is hugely important to me. Um, uh, and, uh, that was one of the major, major early formative experiences for me was, uh, one summer in high school, um, you know, these, these three volume, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, I mean, it it would have been the Moncrief, uh, translation of Proust was, uh, on my parents' shelf. And I spent a high school summer reading all of Proust. That was the first (laughs) time. Uh, I read it. And then when the Penguin biography, the Penguin translation started coming out, that, that when, and I was in grad school at the time, I read them. And then I sort of decided that one of the things I was going to do was every decade of my life, I was going to read Proust in its entirety. Mm. So then mm. that was in my teens and in my 20s. And in my 30s, um, I, 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 I said that uh, I, I do occasionally like get sort of book reading groups together Um, and Mm -hmm. I did it with a reading group when I I was in my thirties. And my hope is in my forties, which I'm now in that my, my, my read through in, 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 in my forties will be in French. Mm. I have now read all of the major translations and see the strengths and weaknesses. And then that will be the next one. But anyway, that's, (laughs) that, that, that's, that's, that's that's, my dad with the odyssey. (laughs)
0: What? that's how my dad is with the odyssey oh really he's trying yeah. to like wants to learn greek and latin so he can eventually read you know the alien the odyssey or like his you know yeah and in virgil
1: yeah yeah i mean those those i i i i i do go back to that stuff too um uh i i i, I actually do want to read virgil i want to uh reread the aeneid um because i i then want to read the herman brock book the death of virgil mm-hmm. which um, I've I've read a, a lot of Brock stuff and love it, but that's one that I have not read. But yeah, the, 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 to, to answer the question, it's it's c- central uh, to my reading life is is reading uh, older stuff, discovering new stuff, picking up the thing that you've always meant to read, but also rereading.
0: I think it's C.S. Lewis who had the famous line: "For every new book, you should read two old ones." And I'm sure uh, there's all kinds of everyone's. All kinds of different readers have had different rules like that. Do you have anything where, you, where you're where you consciously trying to read, you know, you make sure you read a couple of Shakespeare plays a year, make sure you read, you know, something for every new book you're reading? It might be hard I with your job. I don't know. I
1: don't have ongoing rules in part because I do like the role of chance and serendipity. And yeah. I like being able to go off on a tangent. Yeah. Um,
0: I go You're through- carried away by Stefan Zweig.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and- it's like I go through periods of actually reading a ton of nonfiction of reading mm. philosophy and stuff like that. And then I go through a period where all I read is fiction for a very yeah. long time. I do try uh, there's something that fiction in the novel in particular gives me that I don't get from anything else. So yeah. if I'm, I, I, if I'm reading plays like Shakespeare or some of the Greek tragedies or whatever, I will sprinkle in a novel. If I'm reading, you know, going through a period of, of, of reading some serious philosophical stuff, um, I will be reading novels well parallel to that. That's, that is the one thing I'm always doing, but it could be contemporary novels. It could be yeah. uh, 19th century. It could be, you know, earlier, mid 20th.
0: I was talking to the uh, novelist Ron Rash. Um, sure. And he was telling me that he reads a ton of Shakespeare, you know, for him, the Shakespeare is probably his biggest go-to. Um, and so it got me thinking, you know, when I, as a contemporary writer, when you go back and you read, Tolstoy, or you read it could be Dickens, it could be Homer or Virgil. Uh, you know, you're going to have issues of translation with someone like Tolstoy. But you, even someone who's writing in English like Dickens, wrote in a way formally that was very different than the way books are written now, even in the way that you're you're writing. You know, whether it's the construction of sentences or the way scenes are created, um, the way the drama is set up. So, given that, what role does or how does um let me ask it this way what do you get out of those books as a writer not just as a reader but as right. as a writer like what are you learning what can you take away from that and then add to the writing of the index of self-destructive acts or something like that
1: so if you read i mean there is, the, the language is different that's true um but a lot of what we think of as sort of innovations in the novel were happening from very early on, you know, including... Right. Yeah, Don all the, Yeah, all the metafictional business in Don Quixote, um, you know, what Stern is doing in Tristram Shandy. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, when I was sort of coming up, um, you know, Wallace was a very big deal. Um, there was... Uh, it, it, the big thing that seemed to be challenging um, a lot of writers. Um, and we associate a certain set of um, uh, white male writers uh, with this, like Wallace and Franzen and Jeff Eugenides and um, uh, maybe Bill Volman. But, you know, uh, Jennifer Egan was was working through this at the same time. Yeah. Um, Coulson. Was um, is dealing with the dealing with the legacy of the great um, postmodernists and the sort of systems novelists of the sixties and seventies, and you know, Pynchon, and to some extent, DeLillo, and Gaddis, and people like that, um, and the way that they used the novel uh, as a form of social criticism or to talk about the 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 sort of like macro issues of America at a particular moment. And then the question was, how do you make that um, accessible, but also how do you give it a certain amount of heart? You know, that was the thing that um, yeah. Wallace, there was sort of a, a, a particular um you know, the existential fact of living in sort of consumerist America was this real sense of sadness, which, you know, mm-hmm. in, we, we now know, and many of us didn't then, that Wallace was, of course, clinically depressed. But, mm-hmm. but, but, um, and to what extent that was just his experience is a separate question. But, you know, how do you get it? How do you yeah. give it a beating human heart? You know, that. Yeah. There was this idea that it was a mixture, of, you know, that there was like uh, these novels, these novelists were writing with their brains and how do you write with your heart or something like that. right? And what you find if you go back and read George Eliot, right, is that she's as smart um, a writer, I think, um, as, as has ever written. The novel in mm-hmm. terms of, um, her philosophical sophistication, um, in terms of what she's capable of doing as a social critic, even mm-hmm. though she's writing almost a story, you know, stuff about the England of, um, a generation, half a generation before her, hers, or else she's writing truly historical stuff about, you know, Italy in the time of Savonarola or whatever. Um, uh, but anyway she 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 is she 's a very sophisticated philosophical thinker, social thinker, political thinker. All of that is in the novels they 're big canvas novels but there 's an incredibly strong human element to them um, yeah. so that 's the kind of thing you learn is that this this problem um, uh, that people are creating for themselves, um, you know, the solution already exists to a certain extent. Now you still have to figure out how to do that for your own time, you know? Hmm. Um, but there is a sense that, um, I mean, to me, the biggest thing you, you, you find out if you actually read these people, um, is that, uh, a lot of the critics of the realist tradition, and this was true at the time of postmodernism, um, and it's also true now, I think, in the time of, autofiction and the way that people criticize the realist tradition um they're they're criticizing an idea of realism uh or they're criticizing bad realists you know poorly executed realism Mm -hmm. but you take their criticisms and you try to apply it to Tolstoy or to George Eliot um and uh it doesn't have anything to do with
0: what they're doing speaking of criticism Tolstoy on criticism is pretty interesting
1: yeah Tolstoy is and Tolstoy yeah Tolstoy is interesting because Tolstoy came to abandon realism himself the whole tradition and he came to think that those books were but from a very obviously a very different standpoint than the criticisms that you know a Rachel Cusk or someone makes
0: now so before I let you go uh, do you have time for a couple more minutes yeah okay I'm you've talked about this a lot the um you, you alluded to it already um when i read your when i read index i'm reading um phil clay's missionaries uh now i'm finally getting to that one right as the paperback's about to come out i'm finally reading the hardcover um and i you know it's been said before it seems like you owe a lot to someone like Graham green to the it seems like you're working in a similar tradition to someone like him do you as someone who Cares a lot about these these religious ideas, uh, these religious questions, and cares about characters who are wrestling with religious questions. Do you consciously feel like you're trying to work in the same tradition as a Graham Greene or someone like that, or do you? Uh, I mean, just it's, owe something it, to him.
1: It's it's good to know that people who have been sort of steeped in. Uh, Catholicism as a framework for thinking through these ideas um, have been capable of creating uh, great <laughs> books, you know, yeah. and it's yeah. um, certainly Flannery O'Connor is, is, is yeah. one of them. Uh, Green is one of them. Waugh is one of them um, Walker Percy, you know, there's yeah. a, and, um, uh, and, and a number of French writers too, including Moriac, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is, it's, I read them and, 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 and I love some of them. Um, uh, but I am not, I am not conscious of working in their tradition. And and the truth is, you I mean, again, go back to Tolstoy and George Eliot and this stuff is, uh, or not to mention Dostoevsky, you know, um, uh, their stuff is full of it, you know, yeah. and, and, and Elliot, um, her, her, uh, relationship to, um, the Christian tradition is, is very, very interesting and we could just, you know, spend an hour talking about <laughs> A that. A um,
0: specific but, podcast on that, yeah.
1: Yeah, but, but, but um, that's, you know, the novel has been one of the ways in which people wrestle with these questions for as long as the novel has existed. And, yeah. you know, the novel, um, you know, sort of arose at the same time uh, as, you know, the what for lack of a better term you might call secularism but 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 um it 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 arose in societies where these questions became live questions as opposed to Mm. questions that had to be solved within a particular religious tradition you know it it, it arose in these moments of 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 opening up about this stuff where people were expected to sort these things out for themselves um and so uh to me uh, you know almost it's 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 all over Proust too, um, yeah. and, and and one of the things that um, a lot of the way, you know, he's very funny in his social snobbery way about these salons um, that these different characters create and that these different characters attend, um, but they very much talk about the calendar and the way that it has replaced a certain religious calendar is the Mm -hmm. calendar of going to the salons, but also the way in which you have to submit to the authority of a particular um, figure in order to be a member and uh, the rituals of it and things like that. And um, anyway, he's, he's wonderful at, at, uh, uh, sorting through some of these things. And, and in many ways, the, the subject of the book is, is sort of the problem of secular time. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, although you know, I, next time I read it, I'll think something else is the subject. Yeah. That was what I thought was the subject. The last, yeah, it's time the nature of it, a really great book. Yeah. Um, before that, I thought the subject was sexual jealousy, and before that, when I was a seventeen-year-old who wanted to be a writer, I thought the subject was you know a young man who wants to be a writer. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but but anyway, it, these things are in all of these books. So so yeah. you don't have and 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 in a way, you know what what I you know. I think it is. I think it is. You go out and talk with people, and everyone, almost everyone, it continues to wrestle with these ideas. Yeah. It's not as if uh, yeah. you know rational secular society has solved these problems, and thus it's not a concern for most people. And I'm somehow an outlier in being concerned with these things. Um, yeah. And most great literature still also deals with this stuff, even yeah. if um, mainstream literary culture doesn't always know how to talk about it or doesn't always see it. Um, but it's not as if Phil and I, you know, who by the way, went to neighboring Jesuit high schools on 83rd uh, and 84th Street. Um, in That's Manhattan. a good tidbit. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> That's uh,
0: cool.
1: Yeah. So Another Phil, guy I'd like to have on. Phil, Phil, Phil and I you know, are coming at it from a particular tradition, but it's not as if you need to have writers who yeah. are themselves in one tradition or another to find writers who are grappling with these issues, you know, most, most good fiction
0: I think still is. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm Orthodox. So to like, I read Dostoevsky and I come at it from a specific perspective. A lot of it feels familiar. Yeah. The, whether it's the the habits that the characters are living through that you mentioned the calendar, but I don't feel like as a wannabe writer, (laughs) um, Dostoevsky like I don't read Dostoevsky and want to write it yeah. informs my spiritual life and it, it yeah. informs like my inner life in, in a lot of ways but when I the people who want to make me want to write are like Charles Portis you know oh. <laughs> or you know um O'Connor you mentioned O'Connor certainly O'Connor um but even like I could read Jane Austen and she makes me want to write yeah uh, I read Jane Eyre and I, and that book makes me want to write and so the the writers from the tradition that I'm a part of from my religious life. Right. They informed that, but less so. Yeah. They don't, I don't feel like I'm trying to write the next Dostoevsky novel.
1: I mean, as if I, I yeah, it would be a mistake for anyone to try and write the next Dostoevsky. Yeah. You know, yeah. There are also, I mean, there, there's something um, I've been talking about sort of, you know, influences in this way, but, you know, um, I couldn't point to anything that is Proustian about my writing. I mean, I wish yeah. it was yeah. in a lot of ways, but, you know, yeah probably the the writer who speaks most powerfully to me as a reader. Um, but, um, it doesn't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, this, uh, process of, of influence, you know, um, I was as a young writer, as, as, as many are, I, I, I was very consciously influenced by certain people. Um, Wallace was one of them in ways where, you know, you find yourself just like Almost writing pastiche of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. you you. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know Wallace himself, if you read his first novel, *The Broom of the System*, you can see large chunks of it where he's sort of doing Pynchon, and then large chunks of it where he's like yeah. doing Gaddis, and chunks of yeah. it where he's doing um, DeLillo, and it hasn't all been um, assimilated into into one thing, which eventually did happen with him. You know, yeah. and um, what you you know what you're trying to figure out as a, as a young writer is like it is how to sound like yourself you know yeah uh, and yeah. what that will sound like um yeah. and 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 once you you do and reading other people and seeing the way they go about sounding like themselves is an important part of it um, but but once once you do then it becomes very difficult one hopes to point to different things and say this is where he got yeah. this and you're not conscious of it when you're doing it. Either. Well, and
0: a lot of it's got to be about the reader too, because like I read, I'm reading missionaries as I said. And in some ways, it feels like I'll read it and I'll think, oh, that feels like that could be power and the glory, and then some of it could be like Dennis Johnson's Tree of Smoke, and just, and then sometimes it could be, you know, Dostoevsky. And it's right. so much of that as I'm bringing what I've read, yes, to it, and so that's going to inform the experience as well, and you know. For better or for worse, for the writer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Uh, um, uh, I, I I like a lot of. I mean, I love a lot of Green's writing, but but I don't. Um, I don't think our fiction is very much. Yeah, has all that much in common, you know. Yeah. Certainly, Index is not is a book that's like it's longer than any of his books. He didn't write these big. Yeah wide canvas, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, multi-character uh, type books, you know. Right. Um, my earlier novels yeah, probably true. have a little, a little more of, of, of him in that sense, you know. Um, I don't know. If it,
0: I... Yeah, because it could be, easily be like, just reveal how the, the reader is a bad reader when they say, oh, Index seems to have Graham Greene, or it's just there are questions that are asking Graham Greene that have triggered something that i asked found in your yeah and
1: that's that's and 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 those connections um are you know that's 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 for the reader to do and and as a writer you can't you can't tell readers how to read your book kind of brings us
0: full circle to your original your original point about the the individual experience
1: yeah it's a it's a it's a private thing and 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 um the 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 in, in, in Proust, I mean, that's one of the things that excited me from the beginning. Is the excitement of reading is in the book, and he, he, he sort of talks about. The, I, I don't have the the quote, but 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 he says something to the effect that great a great book is a is a kind of lens through which a reader reads himself, mm. um, and that's what the and that means that the reading experience is inevitably going to be different for every reader, and it also yeah. means that certain books. Are the right books for certain readers, and other books are not. Um, and uh, but it, but it, but it also means that the, the 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 author cannot stand over the reader's shoulder and say, no, this is supposed to be taken this way, and this is supposed to be taken that way. You you you, you do your best to put the thing on the page, and it hmm. also gets back to my point about why I don't think reading criticism, even though I I'm sometimes gratified to read it of my own work, um, is particularly um, useful for me. But it's not, nor is it supposed to be. As a critic, you're not writing it for the author either.
0: Yeah, yeah, true. Hey, last question before I let you go. I ask the first question of every episode. Remember the first time you fell in love with a book. Last question is this. It's one of those questions that people who are well and widely read hate. Let's imagine you're going to get trapped somewhere for a month. You've got a backpack and you get to plan ahead for being somehow trapped. But you get to put uh, four books in that backpack. Let's just say you're planning to hypothetically be trapped somewhere, and you're going to put four books in there. It's kind of a Mount Rushmore of of novels. What are the What are the novels that you're you're bringing along for for I mean, uh, such a hypothetical it's, situation? It's,
1: it's cheating too, because you get you get three thousand pages with one book, you know. So, so it's sort of like seven <laughs> seven novels that you're like bringing along. So so how well, do you? not yeah, the, do that. So 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 that's one for sure. Um you know, uh I'm gonna I'm gonna say my wife's book. I'm gonna say Smart. Yeah. Um Who Is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. Yep. Um it's it's incredibly entertaining.
0: And I've gotta tell you, I recommend that book a lot to people who are like, I need to get back in the rut the into reading again. I'm kind of I'm in a rut. And I recommend that book and I've every single person who recommended it comes back into the shop. And is like that book is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did I not? You know, I got to give this book for Christmas. That kind of thing.
1: Um, I, you know, I do, I do like big books, but I, for this, to, to the extent that I'm taking this, <laughs> the exercise here seriously, <laughs> like, it's also just you know, you, you wind up with more pages if you if you select True. these these big books. Um, uh, um, and Anna Karenina is is amazing, and it's a book you can read and reread. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice long one, so you are getting lots of pages. Yeah, uh, after <laughs> um, I think that's I think that's three, um, and then um, I mean, you'd want something. You also you want something funny, um, in, in this situation, and um, I love uh, Muriel Spark. Now her books are very short. Yeah. Um, Your but, wife said her too. <laughs> really? Yeah. The, the 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 Girls of Slender Means is probably my favorite of them, but they're all just sort of like wickedly funny. Certainly Miss Jean Brody, um, Memento Mori, uh, a whole bunch of them, but I think that's the one I would pick.
0: Girl, Girls of Slender Means? Girls of Slender Means, yeah. Well, Spark, it seems like, is somebody who writers... It, I've heard her name so many times and it's just writers yeah, seem to love her work. Yeah,
1: she's, she's, she's magnificent and she's, yeah, she's so funny. She's so sharp, dark. Um, Somebody who you could read the whole canon. Yes. And yeah. No, it's not, and not very
0: long and get a lot out of it.
1: Yeah. Those are all, it's like the opposite of the Proustine experience. Cause they're, <laughs> they're almost all under 250, many under 200 pages. They're books that you can just sort of like, read in a single sitting and they just yeah. pull you right in, you know, yeah. um, and they're so smart and they're so funny and they're just, um, you feel like you're like indulging yourself when you read
0: them. Mm. Mm. Well, speaking of indulging, I appreciate you indulging, uh, me on this and taking up so much of your time. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. And, uh, I was, a, a, Index was my favorite book of last year. I love that book. Thank you so much. Um, I, I tell everybody I've listened, I've read it and listened to it. So, um, I have pretty, not thank one. you. Thank I you. mean, have either, but, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for writing it and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. That was Christopher Beha. Index of Self-Destructive Acts is available wherever books are sold right now. Please do order from your local bookshop. But if you would like to order from our shop, you can head to bookshop.org slash shop slash Goldberry Books. And we certainly do appreciate that. Well, this has been Bibliography. I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you found a book or two to add to your to-be-read list. Until next time, happy reading.